0: Today I want to talk with you on the subject. It's tough out there. It really is, isn't it? And, uh, you know, my guess is there are a lot of people watching on live stream or television, listening to us by radio in this live audience, and you're discouraged. You may not be showing it, but there's something going on in your life. You're discouraged. You're in despair. You may even be battling some form of depression and everything. My guess is there are a lot of us, because all of us battle that. It's tough out there in the Uh, what's going on it may be that you're facing some kind of of relational issue it may be financial it may be physical and or it may just be you're just under spiritual attack Uh, and it zaps you you know It, it it does that it'll just zap you and it'll discourage you and discouragement is a product it happens it's a product of living in a broken world we're in a fallen world we're in a broken world and we're broken people because sin has done that to our world and 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 to us and so we're we are susceptible to things like discouragement and despair. And, uh, but the, here's the news. If that's where you are, if you're not, you will be from time to time. If that's where you are, you're actually in some pretty good company. Because there's some great people in Scripture that battle discouragement and despair and even depression. For example, Moses was discouraged, the Bible tells us in Exodus, over the sins of God's people. Or there's Elijah, one of the, perhaps considered the greatest of all of the prophets of God, and he sat down in despair after God had done some great works through him. He sat down in despair in a cave and said, God, I just don't even want to live anymore. Or Jonah, think about Jonah. He was angry, uh, and he, he wanted to run from the mission of God. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. There was David. David was called a man after God's own heart. And if you go read Psalm 42, you'll see him dealing with discouragement and, and a kind of despair. And then, of course, most of you know about Job. He's one of the choicest servants of God ever. And Job battled discouragement. In Job chapter 10, we see him talking a little bit about the discouragement that he was facing. And, or there's Jeremiah, another of the great prophets. And Jeremiah, do you know what his nickname was? Think about this: the weeping prophet. You know, discouragement was a part of. And then Naomi, in the book of Ruth. Naomi talks about how bitter life uh, was. Peter, the Bible says, was so discouraged that he grieved after he denied Christ. Paul talked about his discouragement when he went on trial for his faith. He went on trial, and you know what he said? And he said, no one stood with me. He was lonely and discouraged. And even Jesus, in the book of Isaiah, was referred to as a man of sorrows and in the garden Jesus the Bible says in the garden that his soul was deeply grieved I mean those are some pretty significant characters right in the scripture and they battled and faced discouragement despair and of course there have been a lot of great men and women of God through the ages Uh, besides those we just mentioned in the scripture like Saint Augustine or Mother Teresa or Martin Luther all of them battled with a uh, kind of uh, discouragement. Uh, Winston Churchill uh, talked about his own battle with despair and discouragement. He called it uh, Churchill called it his great black dog that seemed to accompany him often wherever he went. And then Spurgeon, the great I think one of the greatest of all-time preachers, one of my personal favorites, wrote this. He said despondency is not a virtue. I believe it is a vice. I am heartily ashamed of myself for falling into it. But I'm sure there's no remedy for it like a holy faith. But you know how all of these, there's one thing these people had in common. You know what it was? How did they get through their discouragement? They got through it because they endured with God. Amy Carmichael uh, wrote in Learning of God, Everywhere, the perpetual endeavor of the enemy of the soul is discouragement. Because if the devil can get the soul under the weather, then he wins. It's not really what we go through that matters, she wrote. It's what we go under that breaks us. We can bear anything if only we are kept inwardly victorious. If God can make His birds to whistle in drenched and stormy darkness, if He can make His butterflies able to bear up under rain, imagine what God can do uh, for the heart that trusts in Him. So let's face it, it's tough out there, isn't it? I mean, the world can discourage us. Life can discourage us. Circumstances can discourage us. And so we need to know, how how can we be like these other men and women of God who've come through? How can we face and endure it? And in the passage that I want us to read today, Paul provides what I believe is some wonderful counsel To help us endure, face, and even find victory in the midst of discouragement. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me this morning as we honor God's word. Beginning with verse 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, would you use it to strengthen our hearts, to encourage us, to challenge and convict us, to help us to walk with you. When it's good, but also, Father, when there are clouds around us. When the circumstances have have conspired to discourage us. Let us look to you and to remember your word. And to remember, Father, that you love us, that you are there. And that we can, in fact, in you, endure. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the verses I just read are the response to what Paul had said beginning in verse 7. Sometime go back and read that. But verses 7 and following actually set up the verses that we just read. Uh, And verses 16 and 18 point out a little bit of detail, or, or the verses prior to that point out some detail um, that uh, comes in the Christian life, some of the difficulties that we face in the Christian life. And when I was working on the message, I couldn't help but think that's kind of like Romans 8, where Paul's talking about all these different things that can come against us and, and beat us down and try to beat us up and discourage us and throw us into despair. And he's talking about that in Romans 8. And then he concludes that particular say sa- when he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Well, when I read these verses again, and i preached this passage uh, a number of times through the years, it reminded me again that that Paul is saying to us something very important, and that is that faith and difficulty are also... uh, uh, go together you're going to experience difficulty in the faith there are those who today try to tell us that if you're a person of faith and great faith and biblical faith and walking in obedience to god that you're not going to battle any of these things the problem is the bible doesn't teach that at all the bible tells us just the other thing that these things are part of living in a broken fallen world and in a broken fallen world under the auspices of your archenemy, the devil, and God's enemy, the devil, he is the prince and power of the air, that, that in this world you're going to experience these kinds of things. So the question is not, are we going to get discouraged? The question is not, are we going to face despair at times, or even depression, perhaps. The question is, what are we going to do? How are we going to uh, endure when those uh, times or those seasons come along and I think Paul gives us in verses 16 through 18 uh, several things that we ought to keep in mind when we're discouraged or when we are despaired the first thing is this we need to keep in mind the reality of external external tribulation Again, we see it in verses 7 through 9. If you've got your Bible open there, look, look and follow along with it. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay are our body. They're fragile. That's what he means. And we have the gospel. God has entrusted the gospel to us. And, um, and then verse 8, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body The death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. And then in verse 16, he says, We don't lose heart. Even though all of that is true, he says, Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. He's talking about the fact that there are external tribulations. We're afflicted in every way, and our outer self is wasting away. Have you ever realized that about you? That, that your outer self is wasting away. I just ha- hate to bring that revelation to you if you don't know that. Your brain will tell you that you still can do things that you, your body, you know, as one guy said, my, my body is trying to cash checks that my brain tells me it can, but it, it can't. And, you know, I, the older I get, the more re- that becomes a reality. Uh, again, our grandkids were in, and so my oldest grandson is into l- these Lego kits now. And really, I think what he's more into, uh, Bodie's more into uh, the idea of the kit and me building it. <laughs> uh, but he helps, and he's really good with it, and he helps. And we, we, so we have this special place at our house to build Lego kits, okay? And it's down on the floor in the living room, and it's, you know, it's a hardwood floor. And, and so, Pops, will you get down here and help me build and so, yeah, of course, you know, I'm, I'm going to get down. I get down on the floor. And so I'm doing this last night. Um, and I sat down Indian style. You all know what Indian style, when you cross your legs like this. I'm sitting down there. We're building this Lego set. And after a while, he gets preoccupied with something else. He says, Pops, you keep building. I'm going to go do, and he's going to go do something else. But, but so, so I'm, and now I'm too far into the project, Wally. <laughs> you know. And so I'm trying to work on, on this, and because he wants it before he goes to bed, you know. And so Pops is doing it. And, I, and then my daughter comes in the room, and she says, Dad, enough, enough. Leave it be. We'll finish it later. And uh, so finally I said, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll all do something else. So it suddenly dawns on me, my legs feel like they're locked up. And I'm trying to get out of that configuration that I'm in on the floor and I start trying to, and my, my knees are hurting, and I'm trying to straighten them out. But here's the real problem. I'm trying to get up off the floor. And that's a long way down. And so I, my daughter's in there, and so I said, okay, let me get up. And I start trying to get up, and I'm, I, I, I'm rolling around. I'm having to roll to try to get up. And my daughter goes, Daddy, are you Okay. And I I said, yeah, I'm fine. And she's watching. I look like a seal (laughs) rolling around trying to get up. I said, let me just roll to that chair and I'll be okay. (laughs) And she says, do you need some help? And my pride is not about to let me say, yes, we don't. And I really do. But I'm kind of, I roll over there. I finally pull myself up. You know what it reminded me of? This. The outer man is decaying. The outer man is decaying. There are things about you that, you know, that just don't improve, (laughs) quite frankly, and won't improve. In fact, are likely to get worse before you get into heaven, right? Some of you can identify with that because you already are beginning to experience some of those things. But we have these external tribulations. Um, this is the stuff going on and it may not be something like I just described and that's kind of a light-hearted illustration about it but the fact is you may have some external pressures that are being exerted on you external kinds of tribulation the word afflicted that Paul uses in this passage is a word that means to be pressed or to be squeezed and the fact is, what he's saying is this is, a, this is a part of a broken world. This is a part of life. You're going to experience that. And then in verse 9, he uses the word persecuted. And that points to the idea of being hunted by a prey. And, and so here's the thing. He's saying a lot of the external pains and difficulties and pressures whether it's financial or relational or or vocational or you name it whatever it may be uh, uh, that are squeezing and pressing on you are oftentimes an attempt by the enemy to discourage and to distress you and, uh, and and throw you into a state of because he's hunting the bible says this your adversary the devil roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour he's looking you know Do you know you are being hunted? Did you know that? You are being hunted. And sometimes that's the stress. And that's the the stuff that throws us in despair. And so Paul is writing to say, even though all of this is going on, the outer man is decaying. The outer man is in this war. The inner man is too. But the inner man can be renewed. And his point is clear. Faith and difficulties often go together. Why does God allow that? Why does God allow the external tribulations? It's a good question. God allows external tribulation in your life to test your faith. Sometimes it's a test. Now sometimes it's just because you live in a broken world, but sometimes God is testing your faith. Do you know the scripture says, then God tested Abraham? It was a huge test to see if Abraham's faith would hold up. My question to you this morning is, will your faith hold up under the test. Ray Stebman wrote a book called Man of Faith and in it he said God is always testing us and his testing does not come when we are warned and ready. Anyone can pass a test when that happens. Okay this is a test I'm warning you are you ready? He says anybody do that but what he says is God tests God's tests catch us unprepared. They catch us off guard and it's when we are confronted sometimes with something simple, a simple situation that no one will know about, and it really tests our faith. You see, the reality of genuine faith is most validated by trials. Many people that claim to have faith in Christ reveal the fact that they have very little faith in Christ when their faith is tested by the realities of this life. So God allows external uh, tribulation to test your faith God also allows external tribulation to deepen your dependence you see external tribulation has this way of stripping uh, away all the outer things of life it has a way of of changing priorities and so God sometimes, He allows the external tribulations you face in life, whatever it may be you're facing right now, because what He's trying to do is He's trying to strip away all the, the stuff that, that is ultimately irrelevant. Why? Because He's trying to teach you to depend on Him. I mean, you, do you understand that God wants you and He wants me to live in utter and complete dependence upon Him? Why is that? Well, I think Warren Wiersbe answers it well He says, because there's no security in things, we sometimes see depend on the things of this world. And he says, there's no security in that. In fact, he says, these things are deceptive because they appear to be satisfying and they appear to be lasting when in actuality they are temporary and incapable of satisfying our deepest needs in life. Now, certainly, he writes, God wants us to enjoy the blessings of life, and there's nothing spiritual about sitting morosely in a corner and saying, these things will not last anyway, so why enjoy them? No, he writes, God wants us to enjoy his good gifts, just as he wants our children to enjoy what we give them. But he does not want us to depend on things. He wants us to depend totally on him. So sometimes He allows these external tribulations, see, to to strip away stuff in order to to deepen our dependence on Him. And sometimes God allows external tribulation uh, for the purpose of creating a desire for heaven. That's one that we often don't think about, but sometimes God allows some of the trials and the difficulties in your life because what He's trying to do is He's trying to create in you a desire for heaven. Because you see, you and I were designed for eternity, we are designed for heaven and this is this is a uh, god wants to use us in this life to uh, accomplish his purpose in this world but he has designed us for eternity he has designed us for heaven and so he will use tribulations and difficulties to cause us to long for heaven um you see God doesn't want you to live under this false belief that the best life you can possibly have is this life right here and now. The devil wants you to believe oh if you have this if you have something else if you if you if you have more if you accomplish more if you uh, experience more all of these things and in and of themselves are not uh, are wrong but the devil wants you to think that if you can keep doing that or this or add this or that then you'll eventually find the secret to real life. That's what the devil wants you to believe. God doesn't want you li- living under that false narrative. Because what God wants you to understand is this world is broken. It's falling. It can never satisfy. And God wants you to get this, that the best is yet to come. There's a, there's a, and I'm not going to call a name, but there's a, a preacher of some, uh, of some fame and uh, he put out a book called Your Best Life Now. I need to tell you something that's pathetic theology. Your best life will never be now. Your best life is in the hereafter. It's not in the here and now, it's in the hereafter. And you see, so God sometimes what He does is He allows the external pressures and everything of our life to help create in us a desire for heaven. It's where the old Negro spirituals were birthed. You know, there were songs written that we've sung like Swing Down, Sweet Chariot, or Nobody Knows the Trouble I've Seen, or "Still Away to Jesus. These, these old Negro spirituals were written by Christian slaves. Do you know why they wrote them? Because they thought, we, we can't wait till Jesus comes and delivers us from this into His kingdom. Do you know the early church? you know what it referred to as the return of Christ. It called it the blessed hope. Do you know why it called it the blessed hope? Because they were living under external tribulation. I mean, severe. And you know what? They said the blessed hope is what? When Jesus comes back and He delivers us. And He takes us out of all of this. The blessed hope. That's why they called it that. God does not want you believing that this is the best you can have. He wants you to understand that this life should cause you to recognize there's something better to desire. So he allows external tribulation in our life. Number two, Paul talks about the need for internal, that's external tribulation, but he talks about the need for internal transformation. So we have to understand the reality that in this life you're going to face tribulation. But the second thing we need to understand is that that we can experience internal transformation. Look at verse 16. So he says, though the outer man is is wasting away, here it is, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Because of the fact of external tribulation in our life, we must fortify our souls, we must fortify the inner life every day. This is a call for constant attention, constant vigilance uh, to our soul. And if there's any place in your life that deserves uh, devotion and attention, it is your soul. Your soul is the most valuable possession you have because it's eternal. I was watching yesterday morning. I, had, I, I, I was thinking about that idea last week when I was working on the message, and I thought, the soul, what is the most, what is the most valuable thing I had? And I think it's my soul. Je- that's why Jesus said, by the way, don't worry about him who can destroy the body in this world, the devil. Worry about uh, uh, him that can destroy the soul in hell uh and so the soul is the most important thing you have and and so I, I jotted this down as i was working on the message last week yesterday morning before the family got up i'm i'm uh drinking some coffee i'm watching some news and i see this commercial come on with franklin graham and i think and he's given the gospel in about i want to say about 30 seconds it's a fantastic uh, little commercial and he gives the gospel and he says and he makes his statement in the commercial he said Your soul is the most important possession you have. I thought, he read my sermon. (laughs) But I thought, it's true, isn't it? Your soul is the most important thing you possess. Because everything else is going to pass away. Your soul lasts forever. Your soul is the most valuable thing you have. Your soul is more important than material accumulation. Do you all remember the parable of the rich fool? Luke 12? Verse 20, in that parable, it says, But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That parable's about a guy, he had a bumper crop. He he said, I don't have enough room for uh, my crop. I'm going to tear my barns down and build bigger ones. He didn't use it to help anybody or anything like that. He said, I'll just build bigger ones. And God shows up and said, You're a fool. You're a fool because you... You you have risked your soul. Your soul is required, and all you're going to do, all you've accumulated, you're never going to see. A few years a few years back, I clipped an article out. It was from Business Insider, and why I clipped it is because, and I thought about it when I was working on this message, is because the article talked about the value of a soul. Business Insider, and it was had some little comical stuff, like it talked about. uh, Homer Simpson on one of the Simpsons and I I have never watched the show I just know uh, what it is but Homer Simpson on one episode evidently according to the article sold his soul to the devil for one donut. I'm sure Mark it was a Krispy Kreme but at any rate it goes on in the article and it talks about a book I read in high school uh, about a man who sells his soul To that is a short story and uh, this guy sells his soul, the devil, and Daniel Webster, and, and Jabez Stone is the main character, and he sells his soul to the devil for 10 years of prosperity. It's a novel, a fiction, and, and so Business Insider, based on the 1930s when that was done in the economy, they do some math and calculate and say if that had been true, his soul would have been a pro- worth approximately a $1,745,000 uh, with the deal he made with the devil. So it kind of gets that stuff out of the way. But then the article goes on to get a little more serious. And it says, but the best estimates of an individual soul actually come from the United States government's Environmental Protection Agency. And the EPA uses what it calls a VSL, or Value of a Statistical Life. It's a formula that they use to determine the worth of a person's soul. And so they applied that, uh, that formula... Uh, to an individual and this is back probably 14 years ago and the value of the soul then that they estimated was worth 7.4 million dollars well more recently they applied the same value and they they came out with a valuation of an individual's soul to be a little over nine million dollars now you, that's a lot of money isn't it nine million dollars But it doesn't compare to your soul, really. Anybody that sold their soul for $9 million would be truly a fool. Why? Because the soul is about eternity. And see, they can't calculate eternity in the value of a soul. Your soul is more important than than material accumulation. But your soul is also more important than, than people's affirmation. You know, a lot of people live they live their inner self lives to be affirmed by other people sometimes people say well I'm a people pleaser and it's all right to be a people pleaser and it's all right to get affirmation from other people but don't live for it and, and I thought about what Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 woe to you when all people speak well of you and then in Psalm 62 the psalmist said for God alone my soul waits I wait in silence for God for he alone is my hope Here's the point. Your soul's hope is not based on what other people think. Your soul's hope is not based on the affirmation that you receive, good or bad from other people. It's not, it's not based on it. Your soul's hope is from God and not people. God and not people. And then your soul's more important than worldly accomplishments. Jesus said in Matthew 16, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or, what shall a man give in return for his soul? So, your soul's more important, Jesus says, than worldly accomplishments. What will it profit a guy if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? And so, Paul's talking about the importance of your soul here and the need for constant uh, attention to the renewal of your soul, spiritually renewing your soul. And he says, day by day, because It's tough out there. And if you're not renewing the inner man day by day, guess what? You're going to live in... You're going to battle discouragement and and distress and depression consistently because it's tough. It's dark out there, isn't it? And listen, it's getting darker. And it's getting darker faster. Have you noticed? It's getting darker faster and faster and faster. This is why Jesus said this, When the Son of Man returns... Will he find peace on earth? Will he find, I'm sorry, will he find faith on earth? Not peace on earth. Will he find faith on earth? Why? It's getting darker and darker. And more people are saying, eh, I'm not that serious. That's why your soul, you have to give, you have to give energy to the cultivation of the, the inner man, the inner self, uh, day by day. He didn't just say occasionally. So how do you do that? Well, first of all, by devotion to the word of God. How do, you, how do you renew the inner man? By devotion to the word of God. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, the scripture said. Your word is like a t- double-edged sword that divides and pierces the, 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 uh, the inner man uh, with the, what's right and what's wrong, with truth. Um, the, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. so how do you renew why is that so important because it renews your mind now see if you if you ingest what the world's message is continuously guess what it's going to it's going to form the way you think the way you see things and it's going to discourage you the word of God though transforms our minds be transformed by the renewing of your mind Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12 and so uh, how do you renew the inner self? You do so with the Word of God. The Word of God will renew your mind. Uh, you also do that by devotion to the worship of God. So devotion to the Word of God. Devotion to wor- the worship of God because it will inspire your heart. Again, uh, you know, I, I love our, our our choir that we have up there and that we've started using some in this service with our, our praise band. and And you come in and it inspires, doesn't it? It inspires worship. Worship Worship is essential for your soul. Your soul has been designed to worship. So if you're going to renew the inner self, you're going to do so with the Word of God because it transforms your mind. You're, the worship of God inspires you. And then you're going to have to have a devotion to the will of God. And these things, I think, all go together. Now, And by the way, you know, we we need this kind of worship, but you you need to be worshiping every day. You can worship every day and and should be worshiping uh, every day. You take in the Word. You worship God. And then, guess what happens? So, the Word of God transforms your mind, or even, we might say, informs your mind. The worship of God inspires you spiritually, and the will of God causes you to obey and so I take in the Word, uh, the worship inspires what God has said, and then I obey. And then I walk in the will of God. And sometimes that's discipline, isn't it? It's just the discipline because I know the Word, because I'm a worshiper of God, then I obey and do uh, the will of God. It's tough out there. It can be discouraging out there. And that's why you need to know that... There's reality to the, the external tribulations you're going to experience. But there's also help to be transformed daily so that you are renewed inside. And then there's one th- final thing I want to give to you this morning. And that is the focus of eternal motivation. Verses 17 and 18. Paul talks about this here. He says, "...as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen." This is Paul's motivation. This is how Paul kept from losing heart. You see, he starts off verse 16 by saying, so we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart about what? About all the stuff he just said, verses 7 and following. All of the tribulations, all of the complications that converge against us to discourage and distress us. He says, but we don't lose heart we don't get discouraged. We don't allow ourselves to be in distress. Why? Because we look to the things that aren't, that are unseen. We don't keep our eyes on what we can see. This is Paul's motivation. Put his eyes on eternity. Put your eyes on eternity and then go forward and don't be intimidated by the temporary things of this world. A few years ago, my wife gave me, back when we used to watch, you know, DVDs, she gave me a miniseries called Band of Brothers. It's a documentary, on military documentary on Easy Company, uh, the 82nd Airborne uh, paratroopers, 182. Is that right? 101st, I'm sorry, thank you. 101st. He would know he was one of them, not in the Band of Brothers, but he was 101st Airborne, and they're paratroopers. These guys were paratroopers in this documentary, and and it is, because I love history and love military history, I love uh, watching those things, and this is just one of the best ever that's ever been put out. And it chronicles the lives of these guys in Easy Company and how they're getting prepared to fight on the beaches of Normandy and uh, D-Day, and uh, kind of follows all of that. And, and one guy in particular, I think, kind of jumps out above all the others, and this guy um that that really kind of dick winters or richard winters uh but dick winters is this lieutenant and and he kind of to me he kind of rises above the others in the documentary uh what an incredible leader he was his men loved him he was highly respected and uh, there's a particular uh scene wh- where they're they're getting ready they're replacing some troops that had some ground troops actually that had been Fighting at the Battle of, Bulge, uh, of the Bulge, and if you know anything about the Battle of the Bulge, you know that is an, an incredible, I mean, it's almost one of those miraculous kind of, of battles where we hold off the enemy, the enemy is surrounded, uh, stone, and uh, uh, so at any rate, Winters is taking his paratroopers in, and it shows some of these beleaguered soldiers who are are being relieved they've been battling trying to hold off the Germans for for a while with not much support at all and this lieutenant Winters he's he's going in with his men and one of these beleaguered soldiers pulls him aside and says you know you guys are going to be surrounded to which Winters looks back at him and says we're paratroopers we're always surrounded and the fact is, I thought about that and I, I thought, listen, in the world, the Bible says you and I are surrounded by the enemy. We're always surrounded. Uh, and, and yet we're not defeated. We're surrounded, but we're not defeated. In verses, did you notice verses 8 and 9 that we read just a few minutes ago? It says, we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not given or driven to despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed it's tough out there there's war out there you're surrounded by suffering and difficulties and pressures and stresses and trials and they're not going to go away listen they're not going away until you and I get to heaven so don't retreat in despair and discouragement just realize you're always surrounded but you're never defeated so go forward, looking to the things that are unseen, the things that are eternal. That's what Paul said. He said, so we're not going to be crushed by those things. We're not going to lose heart by those things. Whatever it is that's discouraged you, whatever it is that has distressed you. Don't lose heart. Put your eyes on Jesus. Look up. By the way, Jesus said, look up, lift up your head. Your redemption draws near. It's getting closer and closer. Could Put your eyes on and get perspective about all of these things. If you're discouraged today, if you're downcast today because of the difficulties and the circumstances that you are facing, I want to encourage you, put your eyes like Paul did on the things that are unseen because those are the things that are eternal And it's not going to be long until those things pass away. Did you happen to notice that Paul calls affliction light and momentary? I know it doesn't feel that way, right? When you're going through something, it doesn't feel light and momentary, does it? But Paul... He does that because, he tells us that because what he's trying to do is give us perspective. He's trying to set affliction in the framework of eternity. And when you set affliction in the framework of eternity, your eternity, what he's saying, it's light and momentary because it's going to pass away. And in eternity, you're not going to look back and say, yeah, I'll tell you what, I'd be happier here if I hadn't gone through all of that. He's saying, in the scheme of eternity, that's, that's light and momentary. It's all about eternal perspective. If you're discouraged today, uh, ask yourself, what is your perspective? Is it eternal? Is it just right here? Is it just right around you? The circumstance or whatever's going on in your life? Then if it is, if it's just right here, put your eyes on the unseen. Set your, set your mind on things above, Paul said. Perspective. I read about a man, he, he stopped to watch a little league game, and he's kind of looking in, and there's a little boy standing by the fence on one of the teams. And, and he says, so, hey guys, how, how are y'all doing? The little boy says, oh, we're losing 18 to nothing. And the man said to the little boy, he said, well, I, I, I have to say, you don't look very discouraged. And the little boy said back to him, he said, Discouraged? He said, "Why should we be discouraged? We haven't even come to bat yet." <laughs> That's what you call having a right kind of perspective, right? We haven't even got up. Just wait till we get up. The right perspective in the face of adversity makes all the difference in the world. And I do mean the world. The right perspective makes all the difference in this world. Do you want perspective? Well, listen to what Paul said in Romans 8 31. What then shall we say to these things? You know, a whole list of things. Whole list of problems. He then answers this question by saying, If God is for us, who can be against us? We hadn't even come up to bat yet. And Jesus in John 1633 said this. He says, I've told you all of these things. He had warned the disciples about what was coming. He said, I've told you all of these things, so that in me you may have peace. Not discouragement, but peace. Not distress, but peace. Not strife, peace. Not depression, peace. That in me you might have peace. And then he goes on to say, because in this world you have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Put your eyes on me. Get your eyes off of the things that are discouraging you. Put your He you didn't say they're not real. They are real. Paul didn't say they're not real. They're real. The reality of external tribulation. But there's the internal transformation. You see. And there is this external and eternal motivation. I motivated. my eyes are on Jesus one day. One day all of this will be gone. So even in a season, if you're in a season of trial, if you're in a season that's testing you, if you're in a season of difficulties, guess what? You can grow stronger. You can grow stronger if you have the right perspective. Instead of becoming discouraged and distressed, you can live with the motivation of eternity. Let's pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Now that's that's a promise. From God's Word but the promise of God's Word are for God's children so if you don't know him you need to meet him and you can meet him right where you are whether you're watching us on live stream or television or in this live audience you can call out to him whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved and right now if you've never trusted him as your Savior would you call on him would you say in your heart of hearts sincerely Lord Jesus Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for my sins. And right now, I call on you just like your word tells me to do. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior and my Master. I receive you into my life. I promise you he'll hear that prayer. He's already told us he would.